Well, if you would take out your Bibles and turn to John 17. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 today. As you turn there, I remind you we are in the midst of a sermon series that we're calling Equipped, a Path for Discipleship. We want to unpack the responsibility that every person here at Ashland has to follow Christ together. And so far we've talked about discipleship. The heart of discipleship is taking up our cross uh, and following Christ. We do that as witnesses. We take up our cross and witness the gospel no matter what it costs us. That's how we follow Christ. That's how we take up our cross. And we do that together in the context of the local church. And we talked about that last week, that discipleship happens in the context of the local church. We uh, hear the word of God together. We apply our lives to the word of God together, primarily in the local church. And we do it for the unity and love of the church. And you'll notice on the screen the definition that we've set forth. Discipleship is following Jesus as witnesses in the local church by seeking to know him according to his word, which we apply to our lives in light of the gospel. Now, um, the last part of our definition to know him according to his word, which we apply to our lives in light of the gospel from that section, we're going to talk about three different things that we think everyone here at Ashland is responsible for. Three different disciplines. First of all, we need to know Jesus. Then we need to know him according to his word. And then we're applying our lives to his word. And there's three different disciplines for the Christian life that emerge from those three different parts of the definition. First of all, today we're going to look at know him. And we're going to talk about what that means in John 17. And we believe from that uh, every Christian should be engaged in the study of God, which we will call theology. Next week, we're going to talk about Bible study and then we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. Now, all of those things naturally happen in the context of the church. You're already doing those three things if you're engaged in the local church. But from those three different disciplines, we're going to talk about ways to supplement theology, Bible study, spiritual disciplines here at Ashland. We're going to talk about things called equipped studies, equipped discipleship groups uh, in the coming weeks. And so that's where we're headed. But today, knowing him, knowing Jesus, seeking to know him, what does it mean to study him? What are we trying to do? John 17 if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's word and you thought, well, I got all my standing in at one time today. But we stand in reverence to God's word because God is holy as we have sung and his word is holy. It is set apart. It is authoritative and we give it reverence. It's not as if God were speaking to us. When we are in the word of God or reading the word of God or hearing the word of God, God is speaking to us. And so we give his word reverence in these moments. John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God. 
and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Oh, God, we want to know this holy, glorious God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, we want our minds to be expanded, fascinated, amazed, blown away with who you are. God, you are the creator of everything. You are ruler. You are amazing. And so, God, I pray that we would not settle for less. I pray today that we would understand we are created in your image. And we would not try to create you in our image. And yet we would worship you today. In and through Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. I think I've shared this before, but when I first met my wife, Danae, I did what most men do when they find a potential spouse. I began to stalk her. Now, for some guys, you end up disappointed or in jail when you do that. So don't recommend it necessarily. But it worked out for me. I remember the first time I laid eyes on her. And I remember those first conversations that I had with her. She was attractive. She was funny. I assumed she was a Christian because we were at Bible college together. And I assumed correctly. But I was just fascinated by her and, and wanted to know more about her. So one of the things I did is I figured out her class schedule every day. I made sure that I was around where she was going to be at all times. She was always late to class. Realize that right off the bat. And so I couldn't do that just the way I'm wired up. So I always, but I still sat in the back because I knew that's where she would have to be when class started. And I soon found out that she was, she actually had a boyfriend. I was disappointed in that moment, but I was the very first person to find out when they broke up because I was there, Johnny on the spot. And I just remember that pursuit and I remember uh, wanting to know more about her. And the more that I knew about her, the more that I wanted to know her name, I remember it was so interesting to me. And I remember uh, she used to make a big deal out of her name when she would introduce herself. She would say, Danae, like Bombay. And she gave this little rhyme. And I thought, that is fascinating. That, that's interesting. Where did that name come from? Well, it's uh, a Greek goddess of love. And so I said, is your family Greek? No, they're Cuban. And that was fascinating. And I found out she was from Florida where her dad was a pastor and she was the first true blue uh, homeschool student from a homeschool family that I had ever met. 
And I just thought those kind of people were like aliens from my small public school life in Tennessee. And I remember thinking, oh, she's been homeschooled and she's really normal and she's cool. This is great. And over time, just learning these facts about her, uh, it became more than just information that I uh, wanted to know more about and that I was engaged with. It was the person that fascinated me. Was it just facts about her life or her history? And today she is still the most fascinating person that I know. And still today, uh, the more I know about her, the more I want to know about her. And knowing her has obviously changed my life. And isn't it interesting when we think about knowing God, we do not think in those terms. When we talk about discipleship here, and even as I have mentioned things like theology, studying God, some of you rolled your eyes and you said, oh, that sounds really fun. That sounds really exciting. That will be for other people. And, and, and isn't it interesting when we think about this process of knowing God, we don't think about being fascinated. When you think about studying God, it's not something that sounds amazing to us. One of the reasons we don't think about a person, we do think about stale facts of information that we memorize so we can know on the spur of the moment to win trivia or to win a debate or to win an argument. We, we don't think about a person as we're engaged in knowing more about God, but it is the person of God that transforms us. And it is the study, it is the pursuit, it is literally the stalking down of this person that transforms our life. And that John tells us here is eternal life through the words of Christ in our passage. We study to know the most eternal, fascinating being who exists. And the more we know about him, we are eternally transformed by him. One of the things that we see today is God is eternal. He's always existed. And knowing this eternal person changes our life and we will never reach the end of him. Therefore, in him, we will never reach the end of life. Isn't that amazing? Notice in our text the just absolute fascinating pursuit of knowing God. First of all, we know God at the cross. Notice verse 1. Jesus, when Jesus had spoken these words, Jesus is teaching His disciples about leaving and what that's going to be like for them. He tells them, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. But you have the Holy Spirit who's going to walk with you and teach you and comfort you and tell you everything that you need. And here he stands before the Father and he offers a prayer. This is described as the high priestly prayer of Jesus as he stands before the Father and he prays that everything he's taught his disciples, they would know and they would be able to live out in the world by the power of the Spirit. Notice, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father... Now we see the relationship of the father and son on full display here. The son submits to the father. The son trusts the father and he displays that in prayer and he prays for this moment. Notice he says the hour 
Now, in the book of John, the hour refers to the cross. And all the way through the book of John, there is this moment, there is this hour, there is this time where Jesus is looking forward to this hour that John describes where he will be lifted up in glory. But as we read the book, we realize the glory is crucifixion. And Jesus says this hour is coming and what's going to happen in this hour? Notice he says, glorify your son. Now, in the Bible, the word glory means weight, it means authority. You think about scales, who has the most weight, who outweighs the scales and the glory of God outweighs everyone's glory. He has the most power. He has the most authority. And Jesus says, as I march to the cross, I want you to unveil this glory. I want you to display my glory. And notice what happens as the son is glorified. He says that the son may glorify you. And so in this hour, when the glory of Jesus is unveiled on the cross, it is the hour when the father's glory is unveiled. And this has been the plan all along. In eternity past, we we read in Scripture that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the earth. Meaning, it has always been in the plan of God that He would glorify Himself on the cross. The Son dying for people. The Son being crucified. That He would display the Son's authority on the cross. And we see that the cross, if we are going to know God and pursue God, we start at the cross. Because the cross is the apex of God's glory. It is where God's glory is on full display. The Son submits to the Father, dies for our sin. And submitting to the Father, He says, you have all authority. You are chief, you are boss. I display your authority by obeying you and dying. The father displays the son's authority in giving him to die. In saying he is the only one who can die for sin. And so at the cross, it is the apex of God's glory, but it is also the apex of our good. Anytime God is glorifying himself, it is good for his people. Never separate that. And we see that very clearly at the cross. God is displaying the worth and the value of the son. The son is the only one who can pay for sin. He is the most valuable being. And he is the most valuable being to the father. And he is being given for our sin. And so what is God doing in that moment for our good? Displaying the glory of the son for our good. He's displaying the love of the father even in that moment. The value of the Son displays the love of the Father because He would give Him to us and for us. It is the apex of our good. God loves God at the cross. God is not an idolater. And He's going to display His glory first and foremost. And He does it at the cross. And as He does it, He does it for your good. And so today, if you think about what it means to know God and study God and pursue God, you have to start at the cross First of all, it is where the glory of God is displayed. And it also reminds us studying God is always for our good. It's always for your good. The glory of God for our good at the cross. All of God's attributes are on full display. Everything God is, is on full display for the world to see. 
Everything that makes him not like us. We've sung today of God being holy. You know what that means? He is other than, other than this, other than. And holy, holy, holy is used three times in Scripture in that moment to say he is nothing like you. He is not like you and he is not not like you and he is not 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 like you. He is different from you. And all of that is on display at the cross for your good. For your good. God is just. Sin must be punished because he is righteous and he always does what is right. And we stand at the cross and we say, you are so righteous to have anything to do with me. Your son must die in my place. You are just. You are righteous. You are holy. God, you are sovereign. At the cross, we see his unlimited sovereignty. Because at the cross, we see the worst day in human history. That the son of God would die. The most unjust thing that has ever happened, happens at the cross. And we, we would look upon that as, as, as despair. Except we know that God is completely sovereign and the cross did not stop him. And that is used for our good. And so when God tells you that he is sovereign and everything works out for his glory and you're good, you trust him because of the cross. And so to know God, we start at the cross. He is faithful. Nothing can stop his faithfulness. And we go to the cross to see his glory and his faithfulness for our good. Notice we specifically know him in Jesus. Notice he says, since you have given him authority, referring to himself, the son of God over all flesh, over all men. Jesus says, I am king. You've given me that right. And I use that authority. Notice to give eternal life to whom you have given. Jesus said, of, says of all men, I have the most weight and I rule over the created order. And you have given me the responsibility to give eternal life. Notice to whom all you have given me. And here we see God's sovereign love as he sets his love upon a people. I love these people. How am I going to display my love for these people? My son is going to die so that they may have eternal life. Jesus purchases eternal life for God's people that he has set his love upon. They are given to Jesus as an inheritance and Jesus is given to us as payment for our sin. Notice Jesus is describing what we see in the need for a king. You see, Adam was God's king in the garden. When we read in Genesis and we hear of being created in the image of God, what that means primarily is Adam was given responsibility to rule in the garden, to have dominion over it, to be God's king in the garden. That's what the word image means. It means to stamp. And Adam was to stamp the world with God's dominion. But what did Adam do? He did not take dominion in the garden. He allowed the snake to come in. He allowed sin to come into the garden. And so sin and death invade the garden. And God's creation is marred with sin and death because Adam was a bad king. And now Jesus declares to the Father, but I am the good king. Jesus wasn't created in the image of God. He is the image of God. Meaning he is the rule of God that invades the world and he dies for sin and he defeats death and he is raised up as God's victorious king. And he does so to give 
us eternal life. Those who believe in Jesus, he does to give us eternal life. He is the one who has authority to reverse the effects of sin and death so that we may have life. Notice verse three, he describes what eternal life is. And this is eternal life. You do realize you were created to live forever. You are going to live forever. Sandlot. You're going, I can't say forever without thinking about that. You're going to live forever. And here's the reality. You're either going to live under Adam's rule of death and hell. Where sin separates you from God forever. Your sin. Or you're going to live with Jesus in heaven under his rule of life eternally. But you will live forever. People in hell live forever. Separated from God's goodness enduring his judgment. And yet Jesus has come to give us eternal life. Well, what is it? Notice it's personal that they know you. That they know you. How often when you think about eternal life, do you think about something vastly different? Seated on clouds, strumming a harp, mindlessly singing into nothing. Holy, 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 holy forever. Now, eternal life is that you would know God. That the sin that has separated you from God would no longer be there and you would know him fully just as Adam did in the garden. This word know, it's personal, it's experiential. You will experience God forever in knowing him. And notice Jesus describes God here as the only true God. We go back to Deuteronomy. The Lord is one. Israel knew their God as the only God and the true God. And they worshiped him as such over and above all idols. But how is that one true God, the only true God, made himself known? Notice Jesus Christ. Jesus refers to himself here. Jesus Christ, Savior King, the one true God has revealed himself in the Savior King, and that's how they're going to know you forever. Now, to understand what John's describing here in eternal life, we have to understand John's theology of the Trinity. One of the things we see with John's writings, bear with me for just a moment, is he unpacks this idea of the Trinity in the context of love. When we get to first John, we read the words, God is love. God is love. And what John tries to describe is the father loves the son more than anything else. And the son loves the father more than anything else. And a lot of theologians have described the spirit as this love between the father and son that that is just a person that's always been there. Their love for one another. And so God is love. God is love. And so when Jesus is talking about eternal life and knowing the Father, He's talking about being loved forever. And, and John is describing something that happens by the power of the Spirit where the Father and Son set their love on you and the Spirit wraps you into that love forever. And so no longer are you separated by sin and disconnected from God. You know God fully. And how do you know Him? You know Him in love forever. His commitment to you forever. 
That's what John describes as eternal life. That's what John describes as being born again by the Spirit. But notice, this knowing God is very personal. Notice he says, this, Jesus Christ whom you sent. You only know people that you know to the degree that they reveal themselves to you. That's why some of you are Facebook stalkers. You're going to meet somebody today. You're going to say, who is this? I think I've seen their picture. It's connected to this name. And you're going to start stalking them on Facebook. People don't reveal everything about them on social media. You know as much about anybody to the extent that they reveal themselves to you. And so what Jesus is saying here, we're going to know God forever. And he hasn't been subtle in revealing himself to us. He hasn't been secretive. He didn't send some generic text message with some stale information. No, he sent Jesus Christ. He sent the son so that we would know him in the son. We have the fullness of God in flesh. Hebrews describes the son as the exact expression of the invisible God. God wants us to know him and he wants us to know him now in Jesus. And so we know God at the cross and then we know God in Jesus. God has sent the Son, Jesus Christ, so that you would know Him. And He has sent Him so you would know Him now. Now. He doesn't describe knowing God as something that happens when you get to heaven. You, you do not know God until you know Jesus. Till you believe in Him. Till you trust in the cross, resurrection, His righteousness, His kingdom. His pro- you don't know God until you know Jesus. But you know God when you know Jesus. So everyone here today who knows Jesus knows God. And you, because you know God, have eternal life right now. And so when you think about eternal life, and you don't think about this far, far, far away place. You don't think about an eternal retirement that you've invested in. Oh, I said the prayer. I went through the motions. I went to church and I made this eternal investment. And when it's all over, I will enjoy this eternal investment. No, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life right now. Why? Because through Jesus, you know God. And you have eternity, life in God right now. For those who don't believe in Jesus, Jesus says the wrath of God abides on you. I mean, it is pressing down and you are separated from God. The moment you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. And just as Adam had life, you realize that Adam had life in the garden because he knew God. He walked with him in the garden. And if you have new life by the spirit right now, you have eternal life right now. And you walk in that life by the spirit as you walk with Jesus, Jesus described this eternal life as abundant life. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so eternal life is not a gift of knowing God in eternity. Eternal life is a gift of knowing God eternally in the present. Knowing him now. And so. To the extent that, you know, God now. Is the extent that you're experiencing eternal life. And we may ask why. Why doesn't God just zap us to heaven when we come to know him? Well, when we believe the gospel, why don't we just go to heaven immediately? Because 
In the plans of God, knowing Him now makes knowing Him eternally much sweeter. Do you understand that? Like you, when you've gone through some stuff with people, that's when you really know them. If you've never struggled with somebody, you don't know them. On a team, in your marriage, in your friendship. You go through some stuff together, you know them. They're the people that you know that you go to and you vent and you cry and you ask for advice. And their, just their presence gives you perspective. You, you know them in the moment. You say, we've been through some stuff together. Well, God reveals Himself to you now in Jesus so you'd go through some stuff with Him now. And so in eternity, your eternity is going to be sweet because we know Jesus now. And we walk through difficult marriages with Him now. We cling to Him through, through moments of depression now. And I know Him in the struggle now. And we go through some stuff together and we know one another in eternal life and we will know one another in abundant life forever. And so the degree that you experience eternal life right now, get this, is the degree you are seeking to know God now. You experience eternal life. You can experience eternal life when the kids are screaming in the background. You can experience eternal life when you're at the cancer doctor. You can experience eternal life as you are holding hands with your loved one who is dying. You can experience eternal life in all of those moments if... You are seeking to know God in those moments. You are seeking to know Him. Pursue Him in His Word. Pursue Him in prayer. Pursue Him in worship. You will experience eternal life in the struggle. And forever we will look at Jesus and say, we've been through some stuff together. I know you. You know me. That's what eternal life is and it begins now. But notice Jesus says we know Him as witnesses. He says, I glorified you on earth, meaning I have unveiled your glory and displayed your authority on earth fully. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do on earth. I brought the weight and glory of heaven down to earth in my person. Jesus cast out demons. He healed the sick, the lame walk, the blind see. He calmed the raging winds. He called a dead man from a tomb. He himself dies on the cross for our sin. He himself comes out of the tomb. And he says, I have glorified you on earth. I have revealed your authority and your power in all of those ways. That is the task that you gave me. Now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He refers to the ascension. And it is the work has been done. And in the same way I have unveiled your glory on earth, God unveil my glory in heaven as I will be seated as ruler of all at your right hand. He refers to the resurrection. He refers to his ascension. This place of authority that Jesus has always had in the universe. The ruler and reigner of heaven. The king of glory. Give me my glory. He's always been that king. Display it again in the same way I displayed it on earth. And that right there is why Jesus would endure the hour. That's why he would endure the hour. 
because he knows the glory that is coming. He endures the glory of the cross because he knows the glory he has in heaven. And so we read in Hebrews, he suffered and endured the cross for what? The joy set before him. What is the joy? Heaven ruling right hand of God. So he endures and he suffers the cross. You see, Jesus here is the lead witness. We talk about witnessing. What do we what do we what do we describe there? We say Jesus is Lord no matter what. Jesus is king no matter what. Jesus knows he's Lord. And he knows he's king. And he has displayed that in his work on earth and he has displayed it on the cross. I know I'm Lord. I know I'm ruler of heaven, so I will suffer on a cross on the earth. Because I know what's coming and that displays his authority. That displays his power. And so as we know Jesus at the cross and we know God in Jesus, we know him as witnesses. He is the lead witness to his authority. And so if you know Jesus has been raised from the dead and he is seated in his glory in heaven, what do you do? You witness the truth just like Jesus did. And you know in him you're going to be wrapped up into that place, into his authority. And so you declare Jesus is back from the dead. Right now he is ruling in heaven as a victorious warrior over sin and death. A bloody cross could not stop him. He is alive and well at the right hand of God. And so you declare that truth knowing no man nor the gates of hell will ever stop you from saying what is true. Jesus is God's king in heaven right now. Because of his work on the cross and resurrection, you declare it's true. And what we see here is we as we know Jesus as witnesses, as we declare that truth, we become more like Jesus. Jesus's authority as king led him to a cross. Jesus's authority as our king calls us to take up our cross. And so one of the things you'll notice as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. Witnessing the gospel, seeking to know Jesus is the more you do that, the more you will become like Jesus. It will be natural in your life. You will become like Jesus in taking up your cross the more that you know him. And so I want to ask you here today, do you know Jesus? Are you seeking to know Jesus? Do you suffer like Jesus? Do you suffer with Jesus? Do you suffer for Jesus? Hopefully this week you you realize in our culture. There are going to be plenty of opportunities in the days ahead to suffer for the truth of Scripture. I wonder if we will go down that path. We will follow Jesus as we stand for biblical truth. The biblical truth of equality. That we are gloriously different, even though we're equally created. Will you stand for that truth? When they say that can't be in your doctrinal statements. What will you do? Well, if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to follow him down that path. And if you're not knowing Jesus right now, you won't know him in those moments. You won't. How much do you look like Jesus? How much do you want to know him? Do you want to know eternal life right now? How often are you choosing to suffer for him? How often are you choosing just to be inconvenienced for him? Where you just 
You feel the tension in your soul when you are called on to serve or do something that's just a little bit inconvenient and you protect yourself and you send that text and it's not a lie. Unavailable, just can't do it, got a lot going on. And you know what you're doing in that moment. You're protecting yourself. The more you know Jesus, you will engage in inconvenience for the sake of Jesus. It will become natural to you. The most inconvenient thing in the world is to leave the throne of glory and to die on a cross. Do you know him? How much do you look like him? To know him means to be conformed into his image, the image of a crucifixion. You die to yourself. Are you cultivating in your life because you know Jesus just moments where you're okay? With embracing the awkward. Sometimes I'm around college students here and we're around unbelievers. And we have such great campus ministries. We have so many great leaders who are discipling them in the context of evangelism. And you will be out and you'll be around unbelievers. And you know this person, the way they're talking, the way they're acting. They are straight lost. And you'll have one of our college students just share the gospel right there. And I'm their pastor and I think, whoa, 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 hold on. No, they're taking up their cross. They're embracing the kookiness. The kookiness of the tailgate party and just talking about Jesus out in the middle of the open. How Do we want to look like, do we want to know that? Because I guarantee you that that's where you know eternal life. That's where it all becomes real, that I have eternity settled in heaven where Jesus is ruling and reigning and I'm willing to speak. I'm willing to act. I'm not going to cling to my life because I have eternal life. And the times you do, Jesus will be there. That's the power of the spirit that gives you life. As I mentioned earlier, I I think I know my wife more than I know anybody. And I get She knows what's coming and she gave me permission to say this. But there are times, I don't know if you ever gave me permission, but I told you. (laughs) As much as I know her, there are still times in our life where I am shocked by the things that she does and the things that she chooses. For most of our marriage, you would have thought that having pets in the house was a sinful disgusting and knowing her I never thought we'd have a dog in the house and yet quarantined happened we get a little dog named Dobsey and here's this woman who I thought you know hated animals in the house and she's getting down on the floor and talking to her like a little baby and taking pictures with her and they never wanted to take pictures until we got the dog and here's Dobsey and she's buying her Christmas presents it gets worse. A few months ago, we found a cat that was freezing on our back porch. Now, if you grew up in my house, you hate cats. Like, they are demonic forces. They are misrepresentations of the Lion of Judah. And I still believe that. That is my theology. I'm trying to disciple my wife better. Because 
she brings this cat into the house because she feels so sorry for it. And, you know, $500 later, thanks to John Martin, we have a cat in our basement. And I've looked at her for the past few months. I just look at her sometimes and go, I don't know you anymore. Like, I have no idea who in the world you are. And it's true in this world as finite people, we change. We change a lot. And we, we realized that during quarantine. We were away from here nine weeks. We came back and some of us changed a lot. Some of us changed for the better. Some of us changed for the bigger. Some of us changed for the smaller. And our kids, there were kids that came in after not being at church for nine weeks. And you're like, good night. You're a grown man now. You were five last week. The last time I saw you. But away from one another, we missed living life together and we changed. But it's not just our preferences, our physical makeup. Think about the way living in this sinful world changes you day after day after day. And it causes you to drift away from God to yourself and you change. And it's why in a matter of moments, I've heard Christians say, a matter of hours, they will say they feel like I just don't know God. Because they change and we change so swiftly and so quickly. I remember meeting with my pastor as a young man. I was going through changes, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and struggling through that. And I met with him and I said, Pastor, I just don't feel like a Christian. I don't feel saved. And his first response to me was, how much time do you spend reading your Bible? And my response was not very much these days. And his response was, God hasn't changed. You changed. And he gave me a book. It was actually a book called The God You Can Know. And I devoured it. And I realized that it wasn't God who changed. It was me. And the sinful world that I lived in had changed me. Well, think about this. How much from Sunday to Sunday do you change and have opportunities to change and be changed by sin? Think about that. What will go on your life from this moment to this moment next week? What's going to happen in your life that's going to change you? Circumstances, sinful desires, acting upon those sinful desires. What's going to change you? The kids, the family, the bills, school. What's going to change you over the next week from this moment to this time next week? And how many of us will not open our Bibles? Until this moment next week. If you are not reading your Bible. Monday through Saturday. I will guarantee you it's not God who's changing. You are changing. And you are being changed. By the spirit of this world and sin. Hours and hours of screen time. It's changing you. It's making you into a different person. And here's the thing. It's sucking life out of you. It's sucking life out of your life. And you try to come back here and you try to get engaged. And you try to study the Bible. Well, you're, cha you're the one changing. It, it, the Bible hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The truth that the church sings and preaches, it hasn't changed, but you've changed. Now imagine walking 
in the word by the power of the spirit every day and next week. Imagine waking up and your pursuit every day is to know God. You are my creator. How can I push you out of my life? I need to know you. I need to study you. I need to stalk you down because I need to taste and I need to feel eternal life. I'm tired of living in a world of death. I'm tired of experiencing the effects of death. I need to know you. Imagine how much more we would look like Jesus. Some of, some of you get scared. Witness, take up the gospel, share the gospel. Y'all talk about that a lot. Missions, blah, 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 blah. But if you know Jesus, you want to make him known. And you'll take up your cross to do it. Do you know him? Imagine how much more eternal life you could live this week. If you pursued God. If you sought to know him.